0: And since you have your copy of God's word this morning, let's turn together to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15, and we're going to continue really where we left off last week in verse 10, uh, and continuing down through verse 20. Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse 10. And while you're turning there, let me just remind you very quickly of what we looked at last week. Uh, last week, we saw the scribes and the Pharisees coming out of Jerusalem. Uh, coming to Jesus there uh, in the region around Capernaum and as he was uh, teaching and preaching to the, uh, to the men and to the, uh, to the women and the children there and his, to his disciples, uh, these scribes and these Pharisees come up to, from Jerusalem. So this was a special delegation that came out of Jerusalem, not just the normal uh, scribes and Pharisees that were known there around the region that Jesus probably had interacted with. Uh, these were coming up here for a special reason. They were coming to confront Jesus. They were coming to confront him very specifically about his attitudes and his behaviors, the things that he was doing, which separated him out from them. You remember over times as we've studied through the book of Matthew, one of the common statements that the people made about Jesus was, well, this is a man who teaches not like the scribes and the Pharisees, but one who teaches with authority. So they come to Jesus and they ask him this question, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And I would encourage you if you weren't here last week, go back and listen to that sermon, because what we looked at was the fact that what Jesus here is doing is exposing the hypocrisy of the scribes and the Pharisees' systems. That what they had done was taken something that God had instituted in the Levitical law, and his good law that he had given in the Old Testament, and heaped upon it more laws and more burdens and, and other things on top of it until now they came to this place where they thought that just by keeping ceremonial laws, that it made them obedient to God, that it made them clean or holy before God. And in fact, they had developed this oral system that they said came from when God gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai, that He also gave a, a, an oral tradition that carried down and So they viewed this oral tradition as above even the very law of God. So Jesus was exposing that this hand-washing idea wasn't something that God had instituted, but it was something that man had instituted and therefore had no place in the life of His disciples. They had no reason to keep this law. There was no reason for them to subject themselves to something that had been added to the Word of God. And Jesus exposed the hypocrisy of the scribes and the Pharisees because He said, you transgress the very commandment of God. And he talked about how they had allowed people to disobey the very clear command of God to honor thy father and mother, not just honoring them through word and not just honoring them through thought, but honoring them even through action and taking care of them. It was the expectation of Jewish culture that you would take care of your parents by honoring them, keeping them up, even in an older age. If they needed help, you would take care and give to them what they needed. But the Pharisees and scribes had made a, a, a way out for people. All they had to do was say, well, I'm giving all my possessions to God, so I can't give them to my parents. But they didn't actually have to give them to God. They could still keep their possessions. They could still use them as they saw fit. They just proclaimed that they were giving them to God, and then they didn't have to obey the clear command of Scripture. Jesus rightly says that they are hypocrites, which brings us now to verse 10. Now, before we read this text, I want to make you keenly aware of something, that what we're going to find here in this text this morning has said that this is perhaps one of the most startling statements that Jesus ever said to anyone. What we find in this passage of Scripture, if you had been present in the time which Jesus had spoken, this would have been headline news. Hey, this would have been on the cover of every page or on the, the bottom ticker of every news agency across the country. Because what Jesus is going to say in this text today transforms and revolutionizes everything that Jewish people would have known at this period in time of their life. Let's stand together. Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse 10. After Jesus called the crowd to him, he said to them, "Here." And understand, it's not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth, this defiles the man. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. And Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And Jesus said, are you still lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes through the stomach and it is eliminated? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, fault witness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. You can be seated. This morning, I want us to look at three ideas here in this text. Number one, confronting a false teaching. Secondly, exposing the false teachers. And then finally, understanding the truth of the matter. Confronting a false teaching, exposing the false teachers, and understanding the truth of the matter. Now, the first thing that we see here, if we want to confront a false teacher, I want you to notice what Jesus does here in this text. Verse 10 says that he calls the crowd to him and he says to them, hear and understand. So all these people have been gathered around Jesus and they've been watching this this transaction that's been taking place between Jesus and the scribes and the Pharisees. And so he calls the people in a little closer because he wants to talk to them. And so he tells them to hear, but not just to hear and understand. So this is a very clear delineation Jesus is making about what I'm getting ready to say you need to pay special attention to. What I'm about to declare to you, what I'm about to, to utter to you is of the utmost importance, and you need to make sure that you're listening. Now, the scribes and the Pharisees had had all this concern about handwashing. The disciples were not washing their hands before they ate their meal. The disciples were not washing their hands between each course of every meal as the scribes and the Pharisees believed that you ought to do. And remember, the scribes and the Pharisees' concern about hand-washing was not about physical hygiene. They weren't concerned uh, that the the disciples were going to pick up some kind of disease uh, from the meat or, or to pass on some type of sickness. But it was all about this ritual purity. Uh, that ritually they would consider themselves clean because they continued to wash their hands uh, before they ate, wash their hands after they touched a a person who was uh, a a Gentile, wash their hands after pretty much anything that they do. They wanted to make this ceremonial cleansing take place. But what we understand is that Jesus is not concerned with ritual purity. He's concerned with moral purity. And so Jesus, is, He's drawing the crowd in. He, he wants them to be focused on what He's about to say. And so if Jesus is, is saying this to the, the, to the people gathered there in this period in time, He's also saying it to us because what we're about to hear from the mouth of Jesus is something that we need to also, here in even 21st century America, pay special attention to. Because the heart of the matter here, what Jesus is going to talk about here, is not just something that applied to the scribes and the Pharisees and the first century Jews but it also still applies to us today. What God is concerned about is not about ritualistic purity, but God's concerned about moral purity. God's not concerned about the outward actions so much as He is concerned about the condition of our heart. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment. But notice what Jesus says here. He makes this bold proclamation. Verse 11, it is not what enters in to the mouth that defiles the man but what proceeds out of the mouth which defiles the man now this word defile it's to translate it into the idea of profaning something or polluting something uh, it's it's talking about something being rendered to be sinful and so Jesus here's moving beyond hand washing to the idea that that anything that the Pharisees were doing, their legalism, that it had anything to do with being defiled or to be clean. He's saying it's not anything that enters into the mouth. So the, the Pharisees were all concerned about these outward ritualistic ideas. Here's what we're going to do to be ritualistically clean. We're going to wash our hands. We're going to avoid touching these certain things. We're going to go through all of these ceremonial ideas. And by that way, we'll be clean or we're going to be holy before God. But Jesus here is saying that nothing on the outside can change or affect the spiritual condition on the inside of a person. Nothing that you eat, nothing that you touch, nothing that you hold in your hand, no kind of outside action that you go through can change the condition of the inward part of you and who you are. Nothing can change your heart except God. God is the only one who can do that. And the thing that we need to be concerned about is not whether our hands are ceremonially clean, but whether our heart is morally clean before God. Psalm chapter 24 says, Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in His holy place? He that hath clean hands, what? And a pure heart. He shall receive the blessings of the Lord. A pure heart. We find this all throughout the idea, this pure heart idea. So Jesus here is making this bold proclamation that it's not what goes into the mouth. This is everything that the Pharisees and the scribes were concerned about. They weren't concerned about the inwardmost being. They were only concerned with the outward being. What you touched, how you touched it, when you touched it, if you washed your hands after you touched it, and then if you ate with your hands before you touched it. It was all outward ideas. And Jesus says it's not what goes into the mouth. It's what comes out of the mouth. So this was a radical departure. Now, again, when I say it's a radical departure, I'm not saying it's a radical departure from God and what God's standard had been, because God's standard is good. God's law is good. God's law was purposeful in what He gave it to do. But what Jesus is saying here is this a radical departure from man's ideas. Because see, what we need to understand was that in the Old Testament, God had created this religious system. In Leviticus, if you were to go back, and we're not going to spend a a copious amount of time here this morning, but if you were to go back to Leviticus, what you find is there are rituals and procedures for almost everything that you would do in common life. There's rituals for the sacrificial system, what kinds of animals you can use and what kind of animals you can't. There were certain animals that the Jews could eat, and there were certain animals that they could not eat. There were animals that were clean or unclean. And even if it was a clean animal, there was a certain way that it had to be prepared There were things that were forbidden for you to touch. You were not supposed to touch a dead body. You were not supposed to touch somebody who had leprosy. There were certain times in a person's life when they were considered ceremonially unclean. But the interesting thing about all of those things in the sacrificial system and all those things in the book of Leviticus is God never calls those things in and of themselves sinful. It was not sinful to be ceremonially unclean. It wasn't saying that if you touched a dead body that that was sinful. It was a picture of sin. It was a picture of of what was happening. So the reason that God had forbidden a person to come sacrifice when he was ceremonially unclean. So let's say a person had, had touched the body of a dead animal. He was now ceremonially unclean. He could not come to God and worship until he had gone through the rituals to become ceremonially clean. And what God was doing that for, it was a picture of sin. That we cannot come to God in our sin until we are made clean. It was not a uh, um, it, was, it was not to saying that they were that the acts themselves were sinful, but it was a picture of what sin does to us and does to our heart. So God was saying, "I'm going to create this picture, much as a parent does for a child. It creates pictures and helps them be able to understand." God was using this Levitical system, these laws, as pictures of sin to help people understand their uncleanliness before him. None of these outward things could save anybody. There's no promise in the Old Testament that if you followed all the ritualistic cleansings and all the ritualistic traditions, that it was going to save you. If you look at the book of Hebrews, what does it say? That Abraham what? He believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. Not that he followed all those ritualistic traditions and it was counted to him as righteousness. He believed. He had faith in the promise of the Messiah. All of these things in the Old Testament were copies and shadows of the thing which was to come. So what's Jesus doing here? Well, Jesus is basically cutting the feet out from under the scribes and the Pharisees. Because the entirety of their system was built upon a wrong idea of what God had intended the law to be. God had intended the law to expose our hearts, to expose our sinfulness, to expose our inability before him. The the, the book of Galatians says the law is a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. What the law does is shows us that there's nothing that we can do to merit favor with God. But what had the Pharisees and scribes turned it into? They said, well, there is something you can do. If you keep enough of the laws and you keep them perfectly enough, then you can merit favor with God. And this was the whole system that Jesus was turning upside down. Everything that they had built this system upon, Jesus says, was entirely wrong. The scribes and the Pharisees had built a system that centered on pleasing God by observance and keeping rules and regulations what to eat, not eat, touch, not touch. But again, all of this with no concern of the inwardmost part, no concern of having a pure heart. So Jesus points to the inward man. He says, it's not what proceeds out of the mouth that defiles, what goes into the mouth that defiles him, but what proceeds out of the mouth that defiles the man. Because you see, there's a problem here. One commentator said religion that consists entirely in, in, in outward observances and regulations, number one, is too easy, right? Because it's easy to do the outward things, but to not to do the hard things. It's easy to look good on the outside, to follow all the things that the scribes and the Pharisees were doing, but yet not love the way that Christ or God demands us to love one another. It's easy to do the outward things of the washing of the hands, but yet not have compassion on somebody who's hurting. It's too easy. If it's it's all about external regulations, then it's just really too easy, and it's also quite misleading. Because you can have someone who keeps all of the outward observances, but yet their heart is horribly wicked. So Jesus here is confronting this false teaching. It is not just that this is partially in error, right? This is not just a, a This is not just a small disagreement between Jesus and the scribes and the Pharisees. There are times in our Christian life that we're going to meet brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're going to have a, a, a small disagreement about a certain area of theology, right? We always use uh, eschatology as kind of the greatest example, right? Are you pre-mill? Are you post-mill? Are you all-mill? Are you premillennial, panmillennial? pan wh- Where do you fall in there? It's okay, right? Because there's people on the whole spectrum of where they fall, of what they believe things are going to look like in the last days. One group's going to be right. The others are going to be wrong, but by that time, we won't care, right? And it's not going to make any difference. But here's the thing. There are certain doctrines that we cannot agree to disagree on, okay? The atonement of Christ, the virgin birth, the authority and the infallibility of Scripture. I mean, I'm not going to give you a concisive list here, but there, we understand that there are certain things that we cannot agree to disagree on. And this is one of those moments for Jesus is the reason that he is exposing this false teaching in such a bold way is because he understands that the difference between believing this and not believing this is the difference between going to heaven and not going to heaven. The difference between believing this and not believing this is the difference between having your sins forgiven and you having to suffer under the consequences of your sin. This is how important this is. No person, let me be clear this morning, no person could be saved under the religious system of the scribes and the Pharisees. If they followed after that, those people were going to die and end up in hell forever. Even though they thought they were doing everything perfectly before God, even though they thought they were being completely obedient, They were being completely obedient, but they were being completely obedient to the ideas and the traditions of man and not the command of God. So we see Jesus here confronting a false teaching. Secondly, let's look as he exposes the false teachers. Now, when we come to the time of exposing false teachers, the one thing that we need to do is that we need to have courage. And the reason I say that is look at verse 12. It says, Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? Basically, the disciples are pretty much kind of terrified in this moment. They know how much power the Pharisees and the scribes have, right? And we understand how much power they have because what ultimately were they able to accomplish? They were able to get Jesus crucified. This is a powerful group of men. This is a a group of guys who have some considerable weight to throw around, and the disciples knew this. So they come, and, and it's given here the idea... As the disciples come to him, and they said, Jesus, I'm um, not sure if you're aware of this, but you really offended those guys back there. They were really upset about this. And now it's not in the text here, but what we can understand is that in this moment, because what Jesus responds to, Jesus purposefully offended the Pharisees. There was no mistaking what Jesus was saying. It wasn't that he said something and then he said, well, you know what, guys, you're probably right. I was probably a little too harsh with what I said. No, because Jesus goes on to show us why he said what he said, because he gives us some powerful characteristics of false teachers. But before we go there, I want to just remind us of this. It's going to take courage when it comes to the confrontation of false teachers. Because there are going to be false teachers who do have great power and prestige, who have great authority, who have great followings. But just because somebody has a great following does not mean that they are necessarily proclaiming the truth of what God's Word says. The scribes and the Pharisees had thousands and thousands of people who fawned after them, who followed after them, wanting to hear from them and to see them teach. But yet they were misleading every single one of them and just leading them to hell. It takes courage to confront these teachers. Now look, Jesus gives us three characteristics here of false teachers. So when we're exposing false teachers, we can look for these three characteristics. And these three characteristics are, number one, they're offended by the truth. Number two, they are headed to judgment. And number three, they mislead others. They're offended by truth. They're headed to judgment, and they're misleading others. And look here with me at verse 13. Jesus answered and said, every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant, shall be uprooted. Now, and then he goes on to say, Let them alone, for they are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into the pit. Now, that first characteristic we've uh, simply looked at uh, in the beginning there, that they are offended by the truth. Now, the disciples recognized this fact when they came to Jesus and they said, These Pharisees were offended. Now, why were the Pharisees offended at what Jesus had said? Well, because they had been exposed. God's Word, God's teaching did not support them, but actually condemned them. Now, this is one of the key characteristics that we find in the Scripture of what a false teacher means. Now, we talked about this in our Sunday school class this morning. There's a difference between somebody who is a false teacher and somebody who has been taught falsely. Now, what I mean by that is the scribes and the Pharisees were false teachers. They knew the truth of God, but yet they decided to teach contrary to the truth of God. And when confronted by the truth of God from the mouth of Jesus, they didn't turn and repent and do what they should have done. They stood hard in their sin and continued to rebel against God. That's one of the most notable characteristics of a false teacher. Somebody who knows the truth, who hears the truth, who refuses to respond to the truth. Now, somebody who has been taught falsely would be like many of those who were gathered around Jesus. All they knew was what the scribes and the Pharisees allowed them to know, they didn't have a Bible in their homes. They couldn't go up and just read it at will as they wanted to. All that they could understand about God was what the scribes and the Pharisees told them to believe or instructed them to believe. But as soon as they heard the truth of God's Word, they responded accordingly. And they turned away from it, and they put their faith and trust in the truth of who Christ was. So false teachers are offended by the truth because they know the truth condemns him, and they refuse to respond to the truth. Jesus intended, again, to offend them. He continues to offend them. It, it, it's funny, as you read through the New Testament, and we've talked about this before, oftentimes Jesus is characterized as this meek and mild man who never said anything harsh to anyone. But here Jesus is basically saying, guys, what the Pharisees are teaching, what they're saying to you is completely and utterly and destructively wrong. Ignore everything that they're saying and do this instead. Later on, he would tell the Pharisees to their faces that they devour widows' houses, that they're making converts twice the son of hell as they are, that they are clean on the outside but full of robbery, that they are, in fact, whitewashed tombs that look very nice on the outside but the end smell of death. Those are some fairly offensive statements. Why was Jesus so forceful here? Because what does false teaching do? False teaching leads someone to hell. If there's at any point in the life of a believer that we want to be offensive to someone, it's when it comes to the matters of salvation. It's when it comes to the truth of God's Word. We don't want anyone to walk away not knowing the truth because we were afraid to confront and maybe even offend them. Again, we, we're not purposely offensive. We've talked about this before. We do a lot of this with street evangelism. We're never purposefully offensive by our attitudes, by our conduct. But if it's the Word of God that offends someone, then that's okay. Because it's the truth going forward. So the number one characteristic is that they're offended by truth. Well, number two, it's that they're headed to judgment. This is why Jesus is talking about plants. He says, every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. All through the Scripture, we find the idea of plants being referred to as God's people. God plants the nation of Israel. He has planted them and secured them. But if you remember just a couple of chapters ago, we we heard about some other kinds of plants, didn't we? When Jesus was giving the parable of the wheat and the tares, he said that that the devil goes out and in the field where God has sowed the good wheat, that the devil goes out and sows weeds or tares. So what is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying here that these scribes and these Pharisees are, in fact, as much as they claim to be, are not God's people. They've not been planted by God, but they've been planted by Satan himself. Now, again, think of how offensive this would be. Now, this is a moment where the disciples have pulled away from Jesus, and they're just with him by themselves because they come to him and they said, you know, Jesus, the, the Pharisees were very offended by what you said. And Jesus doesn't apologize, but he just continues the offense even further by saying, Well, that's okay, guys. They're just devils, they've been planted by Satan. And what we understand here is this picture about false teachers, again, that we talked earlier, that because they have rejected the truth, basically what Jesus is saying here is they have so hardened themselves in opposition to God, so hardened themselves into false teaching, that the only thing that is waiting for them is the judgment of God to come pluck them out and to cast them into hell. This is where they are. Judgment is coming for them. Now, the difficult thing is, is the same thing that the disciples were struggling with here. Is the same thing that even we struggle with today. Because there are false teachers out there. False teachers are in every generation of every time and epoch of time. And now we know that there are some false teachers that are easy to identify, right? Somebody stands up, and in our culture we see this happening all around us. People who are standing up and saying that, the Word of God really isn't the Word of God, but merely contains the Word of God. Or that the words of Jesus are, are the most important, and the words of Paul and the other apostles are, are substandard or secondary, or teaching that Jesus didn't actually die on the cross for our sins, He merely died to be a good example. Well, those things are very keenly observable as false teaching. But there are also false teachers who come in subservently, they come in very sneakily. They come in in such a way, and and on the outside, what they're saying doesn't all sound that bad. But we have to be careful to listen intently to what is being said. Because as much as Jesus described the wheat and the tares, remember what happened when the wheat and the tares were first growing up together? It was hardly recognizable of which was which. But then it came evident, and those which had been planted by Satan were taken out and destroyed and cast into judgment. So false teachers are offended by the truth. They're headed to judgment. And then thirdly, they're misleading others. It's a very interesting illustration that Jesus gives here. He says, let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. That wording that Jesus uses there, let him alone, really means two different things. Number one, don't worry about them. Don't worry about offending them because they deserve to be offended. Don't worry about what they think about you because you're proclaiming the truth and what they're proclaiming is a lie. Jesus is saying you can't get caught up in worrying about what false teachers think about the truth of God's Word. But secondly, it also means to stay away. It means don't have anything to do with them. Now, Jesus here is not saying that we, we don't minister to people who are lost or that we don't spend time with people who, who aren't Christians. But what he's saying is if you know somebody who is a false teacher, who what they proclaim and stand to believe for is completely opposite to the Scripture, he's like, that's not the person you want to spend your time with. You don't even want to, you don't even want to dabble with it. Paul said, he said, those who, who sow dissension and deceit, he said, have nothing to do with them. I watched just a couple of weeks ago this very interesting video on, online uh, about this garden over in England. And this entire garden is filled with nothing but poisonous plants. And when I talk about poisonous plants, I'm not talking about like poison oak, like you touch it and you scratch and itch and it might bother you for a while. Every single plant in this garden, if you touch it, breathe it, uh, eat it, it will kill you like death. And sometimes painful, agonizing death. And and so this whole thing is is surrounded by this high, uh, you know, high fence all around it. And this has this one caretaker who he's out there taking care of the garden. He's in a complete hazmat suit, like Tyvek from top to bottom, respirator. And he goes out here and he cares for this garden. Now, I want you to think about that. Now, if you knew that just down the street from your house, there was a garden filled with poisonous plants. And your son or your daughter came to you and said, Mom, I want to go down to the poison plant garden. You'd say, well, yeah, I think that's probably okay, just as long as you don't go too far in, right? Just kind of make, maybe take two steps in and, and don't go any further. I think that'll probably be okay. No, you'd say, don't go near that place, right? We're not even going to take a chance. You know, some of these plants have flowers on them, and if the flowers blow off and you inhale those, that could even kill you. So you're not even going to take a chance with your child to go anywhere near this poisonous garden. You're going to tell them to stay completely away, as far away as possible. And Jesus is saying the same thing about false teaching. He's like, don't even dabble with it. Don't even spend your time there. Don't even allow even just a little bit of that to have an influence on you. He said, because even just a little bit could cause corruption in you even just a little bit, could could mislead or to to lead you somewhere where you don't want to go. Because he says this is exactly what they're doing. He says they are blind guides of the blind. Now, again, this is a powerful illustration. You have a a man who's blind and he's walking along. Now, there's nothing really far as being considered about that, right? But typically somebody who's blind has someone who assists them, don't they? They have someone, sometimes you'll see a, a, a person who has a, a seeing eye dog and that dog has been trained to assist that blind man or woman that when they come to a street corner to stop and when time to go, they can walk across the street to navigate changes in elevation. And then oftentimes you'll see a blind person maybe who has a cane and they can tap that around and they can find their places in their way to go. And that's purposeful. We understand that somebody who's blind needs that kind of assistance sometimes to get from place to place so that they would not get into trouble. But Jesus says that these scribes and these Pharisees are like a blind man who's leading another blind man. And neither one of them can see where they're going. Neither one of them knows the danger awaits them. And he says that they will both fall into a pit. Now, some translations use the word ditch, and it's really a bad translation because what Jesus is talking about here was these large, pits that would be in the middle of a field, an irrigation field. Uh, So what they do is they dig these deep pits and they would fill them up with water in order to get water out of them to irrigate the fields. So that's a little different picture, isn't it, right? You know, somebody might fall into a ditch and not get all of that hurt. But if somebody falls into a massive water-filled pit, chances are they're going to be in some deep trouble. And chances are, especially if it's two men who are blind, they're not going to be able to see to help one another, and they're not going to be able to see which direction it is to get back to the shore. And so Jesus is saying here, it's like they're blind leading the blind, they're going to both fall into a pit, they're headed to judgment, they're misleading others, and their ultimate destination is hell forever. Now what a tragic situation, right? These, these scribes and these Pharisees were fully complicit in their deceit. They knew the truth of God's law. They knew the truth of God's Word, and yet they decided and made a decision to not follow after it. So we've looked at confronting a false teaching. We've looked at exposing the false teachers. Lastly, I want you to look with me at understanding the truth of the matter. Verses 15 through 20. Peter comes to Him. And he says, Explain the parable to us. Now, what parable is Peter referring to here? Well, it's the parable in verse 11. That it's not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of his mouth, this defiles the man. Now, most commentators believe that here, the disciples were not so much concerned about really understanding it, they were just having a hard time wrapping their minds around it. They they understood what Jesus was saying, but they couldn't believe that He said it. They understood what it meant, but they didn't understand, well, Jesus, how could this actually be what you intend to say? Because this flies in, in contradiction to everything that they knew and understood. And so Jesus asked him, he says, are you still lacking in understanding also? Guys, you've been spending, you've spent two years with me. We've talked about this type of thing. We've, you've seen me move in, in power. You've seen me move in authority. You've seen me do all of these things. How can you still be so confused about this? And so Jesus gives him this plain truth. Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? Easy lesson in biology, right? You sit down at the table for lunch this afternoon, you're going to eat your food, it's going to go in your stomach, and then you're going to, it's going to be eliminated out of your body. Easy, right? Just basic biology. The disciples understood this. There's no confusion here. He says, but the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. As we said earlier, there's nothing that you or I or any person can eat that makes us morally unclean before God. There's nothing that you can eat that's going to make you morally unclean before God. There's no type of food, right? There's certain foods that we really like and certain foods that we really dislike. But eating a food that we dislike doesn't change anything about who we are on the inward person. Eating foods we like doesn't change that. Even eating foods that are unclean. Now, there's a chance that you may eat something that might make you, make you sick, right? If you eat a food that's been left out too long, eat something that's undercooked, eat something that was diseased already, there's a chance you could get food poisoning. The food could make you sick, but it doesn't change who you are on the inward person. It doesn't change you morally or spiritually. But Jesus said the the greater definition of defilement, of what it means to be unclean, is not what you eat or how you eat it, but by what's coming out of your mouth. Because what comes out of our mouth tells us everything we need to know about who we really are. The Scripture says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You could have a person who looks like they have it all together. They dress well, drive a nice car, live in a nice house. They're at church every Sunday. yeah, every Sunday morning, they're there. When the bell rings, they're there, they're involved, and then you go to their work during the week, and you hear how they talk, and you hear the things that they say or the things that they do. But what is that? What's what Jesus is talking about here? It's not about the outward appearance. It's not about the outward things. He said it's what is on the inside of the heart. Because what's on the inside of the heart will ultimately come out. It'll come out in the things that we say and the things that we think and the things that we do. And he said Jesus is, is teaching his disciples what you need to be concerned about, what every person needs to be concerned about. The, the trouble of the, of the source of our trouble is what's inside of our heart. The source of our trouble is how we respond to what's happening on the inside. And notice Jesus gives a a very interesting list here, and really all of these relate to the Ten Commandments. So Jesus is not moving away from the law of God. Now He goes back to the law of God and He refers to these things. He says evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and slanders. Let's just take a moment to think about those. Murders, excuse me, evil thoughts. Evil thoughts is really the fountain of of all of these other sins because every sin, every misdeed of our lives starts somewhere with an evil thought. It's an evil thought that comes into our mind that we process there, and instead of casting it away, as the Scripture says that we should do, we decide to mull upon it, and we decide to think about it, and we decide to carry it forward a little more and a little more until ultimately it leads us to say or to do something that we regret he says, murderers. Now, this is taking the life of another with malice. It's, it's premeditated killing, right? Uh, wanting and, and, and angering at someone so much that you want to take their life. But Jesus says that if we think about doing this, that God considers that murder. There's no one in this room this morning who has murdered somebody. But you probably thought about it. And Jesus says that to think about it, it's just as much of a sin to do it in His eyes. Not in the the eyes of the world, but in the eyes of God, because the only reason we don't do it is because we fear the consequences. The only reason that we don't go through with it is because we fear getting caught, and we fear what getting caught would do to us. Same thing with adultery. Jesus says, You have heard it said of old, you should not commit adultery, but I say to you, everyone who looks upon a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. Why? Because Jesus looks at the intentions of the heart. Why doesn't a person go through with those adulterous thoughts? Well, because they're worried about what would happen, right? What would my wife think? What would my spouse think? What would my family think? What would my church think? I'm not going to do that. But inwardly, they're allowing their hearts to go to those places. So Jesus is pointing out all of these sins that come out of our heart. Murder, adultery, fornication, thefts, taking somebody, uh, somebody's possessions without their knowledge or consent, false witness, lying concealing the truth, slanders. All of these things, Jesus says, are on the inside of us, and that's what defiles us. Not what we eat, not what we touch, but what's already on the inside of our heart. So now, here's the problem. How do we do this? How do we deal with this, right? What did the psalmist say? Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that has clean hands and a pure heart. But Jesus is saying here, our heart is not pure. Scripture says that our hearts are deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can understand them? If there's one thing in this life that you do not want to do, it's trust your heart. The world says, follow your heart. Trust your heart. Do what your heart tells you to do. If you do what your heart tells you to do, you're going to be in the worst place that you could find yourself to be. Because our heart will always be deceive us so if we're going to have a clean heart number one we need a new heart we need a new heart and the only person who can give us that new heart is jesus christ and this is what jesus is saying look at verse 20 these are the things which defile the man but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man jesus is pointing out here that the most important thing that a person needs is not to wash their hands before they eat a meal not to follow these ritualistic tendencies, the most important thing that a person needs is a new heart from God. Remember what Jesus had said in the beginning of Matthew chapter 5? Blessed are the pure in heart. For what? For they shall see God. If we want to see God, we have to have a pure heart. And we cannot have a pure heart without having a new heart. And this is the wonderful promise of what Christ has come to do for us, that He can take that heart of stone, that heart that is filled with murder and envy and adultery and fornication and false witness, that heart that is so hardened against Him that He can break it open and give us a heart of flesh. Break it open and give us a new transformed heart that we can follow after Him and be transformed. So let me ask you this question this morning. As you look at your life, do you have a clean heart? Do you have a heart that has been transformed by the power of God? Or are you merely just trying to wash your hands in order to appease God? Are you here this morning because you desire to come and to worship God? Or are you here this morning because you feel like to be here satisfies you before God? Are you here this morning because your heart has been transformed or because you're just trying to keep up appearances with others? Do you have a clean heart? Father, this morning, I pray that if there's one person here this morning whose heart has never been transformed by Your Word and by Your Spirit, that today would be the day that they would put their faith and trust in You, that that heart of stone would be transformed into a heart of flesh, that they would know what it means to receive a new heart. Lord, for those of us who are Christians, who believe in You, who trust in You, who follow after You, Father, help us to remember this truth. Because Father, even sometimes for us, we can have the tendency to get distracted and think that our church attendance or our reading the Bible or our involvement or, or our, our obedience merits more favor with you or makes us more important in your eyes. But Father, our right standing before you is not based upon anything but the work of Jesus Christ. So Father, help us to evaluate our own lives, to evaluate our own hearts before you. Guide us and direct us that we may be more and more like Your Son. And we ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.